0: Welcome back to the Sports Beat KC podcast. This is Jesse Newell, KU Beat reporter for the Kansas City Star. I'm joined once again this week by CJ Moore, please report. CJ, how's your week going?
1: Jesse, it's going pretty well. Yourself?
0: Going okay and uh, going even better for the Kansas basketball team because once again they just keep winning and it doesn't matter if they get down 8, 10, 12, 14, whatever number you want to put on there. Uh, keep coming back and keep rallying and keep winning. Uh, a very ugly first half against Oklahoma. We're going to start by talking about that, then talk a little bit about KU's defense, maybe improving a little bit, and then get to Twitter questions at the end. But uh, CJ, what, what did you think of KU's performance for for a half? It seemed like senior night jitters were a real thing in that game where Land Lucas, Frank Mason, uh, Tyler Self, and then maybe even to an extent Devontae Graham and Josh Jackson kind of feeling a little bit of the emotions that come with perhaps having your last game in the outfield house.
1: Yeah. You know, I think a lot of these games where KU struggles for a bit and then comes back and turns it on and wins, that game last night followed that storyline, but it didn't feel to me like one of those games. It didn't feel to me like one of those games where KU just flipped a switch. It was more, like you said, the anticipation of the game and the pressure they felt to make it a worthwhile and memorable night i think got to them and you know bill self said it at halftime going into um, the locker room i think on on tv just just saying the team was he felt like they were sped up and i think the moment kind of got to them and eventually i think the energy of the field house and their nerves kind of calming and and just having a couple things happen good in a row was what led to that monstrous run at the end.
0: Yeah, and it's I, he used the dreaded word at, at halftime, which is tight. And that's the word that no KU fan wants to hear this time of year because obviously we know what uh, Bill Self relates tight to, which is NCAA tournament games where KU has not shot the ball well. But mm-hmm. it, it is interesting because, you know, KU did turn up the defensive pressure, the field house got going crazy, Oklahoma ran out of timeouts, and they don't really have, you know, great ball hand, as great of ball handlers anymore with Jordan Woodard out. So some of those things played – played into the big comeback for KU. But I also thought when when watching this uh, with KU that, you know, somebody had mentioned to me, well, wh- why don't they press or why don't they, you know, try a zone and all these things. Defensively, they were fine. I mean, they were doing okay. At, at one point, I think, Oklahoma, f- I think Oklahoma, f- Oklahoma finished the game at .88 points per possession, which is KU's, I believe it was KU's best defensive performance if you just look at a raw total since before Christmas. So it, it's crazy because KU was – really locking down defensively you know getting Oklahoma to take bad shots and miss those shots and yet KU was down by eight or ten points in the second half and really it was all just based on not being able to get anything going offensively.
1: Yeah they missed some shots that I think they normally they normally make and then there were also some sloppiness and some sloppy turnovers but like I said a lot of that was just kind of getting going a little bit too fast and, and, and wanting to make a play, but. If if you take a you know if you if you just look at how how they were running their stuff and, and like you said how they were defending I didn't feel like they necessarily were playing that poorly where you know a game like West Virginia they absolutely played poorly for yeah. for a large segment of that game and you know there were there were reasons beyond not making shots why they weren't making shots so. I, I think last night was just kind of one of the, those nights where the, the, the pressure of the moment kind of overwhelmed them a little bit and finally they got it going. Now from an NCAA tournament perspective, like you said, that tightness that caring so much and wanting it to go so well, you know, that's something that, that I think all KU fans probably worry about every season. And when you have a team like this, who's had such a special year and you have a play, you know, a, a senior class like a with with a guy like a Frank Mason and everybody wants to win so badly for him then you know you you set yourself up where th- that sort of scenario can play out in in one of those games and it just you know it you're you're probably going to see it and it's going to come down to will they be able to push through that and you know leave themselves enough time to pull off one of these crazy comebacks
0: yeah and I thought about your term hero ball. I thought there was about a two-minute stretch there where KU just couldn't get anything going offensively. And you saw, I remember Devontae Graham seemed to force up a three from the corner. And then I think Frank Mason forced up another one. It was either him or Josh Jackson. But there was Mm -hmm. kind of a stretch there. And it's kind of funny because one reason I've really liked this Bill self offense, this four-game offense that they run with the weave, and I mentioned this before, is that it seems like it kind of just gets... The blood flowing a little bit. It gets everybody involved. Everybody touches it. You know, they kind of weave around the perimeter, and and you know, it kind of gets that team concept going. And that's a little bit of a concern. I mean, it's it's awesome for KU if you're looking at it from a KU fan's perspective to have Frank Mason, who can be a playmaker, and to have a guy like Josh Jackson, who can who can make big shots in the games. But it's also you still want to keep the team concept. You know. You still want the open guy to take the open shot. And KU's offense has been so successful this whole year by doing that and running that and being unselfish in that way that there might be just a, a little bit of concern that then when things have gone bad here, KU's always found its way in the end, but there have been stretches where Josh Jackson, Frank Mason, uh, most of the time have maybe tried to take on a little bit too much, and it's ended up hurting KU's offense, at least for short segments.
1: Yeah, and, and Frank Mason's been so good this year that there are times when he goes in hero mode and it works. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. You know, there, there, were, there were parts of that game last night where he, he was forcing the issue, but it works because he's he's just so damn good. So, you know, it, it sometimes can work out in your favor. I, I do think the only the only real criticism I have from last night is I think that they got – I thought Oklahoma did a really good job with their scatter report defense and knowing KU stuff. And there were a couple actions that KU ran – um, that I thought they were just a little too lackadaisical in and, you know, should have been more aware of, okay, Oklahoma realizes what you're doing. One, one play that comes to mind is, you know, where they run kind of a horns action where they got the big men at the elbow and, and they pass to Lucas on the left elbow and then they go back door with the guy on the wing. Um, I, I believe it was, uh, one of OU's wings, you know, sniff that out and, uh, Got a steal on one of those where Mason just kind of threw kind of a lazy bounce pass in there. And I think it was Christian James who, who stole it. So, you know, the, the other, other than a couple just you know, kind of running through the motions, not realizing, okay, other teams are going to start, you know, they know all our stuff. I thought, for the most part, they were they were pretty locked in, and 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 defensively especially. I mean, I think this team is really starting to to guard, and the effort and focus that we've talked about all year, and attention and detail, is really starting to be there more often than not.
0: Right, yeah, we'll get to that really quickly, C.J. But I did want to mention, you know, in the end, if you're looking at this just across the board, you know, KU at one point made 10 straight shots in the second half, so that helps the offensive numbers. KU obviously was struggling to make shots at the rim and also make open three-pointers in the first half. But 1.01 points per possession, that's not a very good number. But again, if you just gave me this box score and, and said, hey Jesse, diagnose to me why KU did not have a very good point per possession day, I would look at one number and that would be the turnover percentage. Mm-hmm. KU had 19 turnovers, uh, which was 26% of his possessions. And that's a number that's way too high, especially against Oklahoma, which like you said, basically has got them from knowing KU stuff and from KU being a little bit lackadaisical on passes and you know, Josh Jackson taking kind of a small step backwards with his eight turnovers uh, in his 34 minutes. So that's the kind of stuff that you're looking at. And it's weird with this KU team because it seems like I don't really know how to feel about them from a turnover standpoint because I feel like they should be better taking care of the ball now that they have this four-guard lineup. And I feel like they go through a two or three game stretch where they are better taking care of the ball. And then it kind of regresses every once in a while. So some, one of those kind of unknown variables, but it it can lead to, to wild swings in KU's offense. Again, 26% of your possessions, turning it over. That's way too much. And obviously Josh Jackson with his eight, that's way too much as well. But I do want to get to your defensive point here, CJ, because this whole year, kind of when we've been talking about this and Hey, KU's defense, it's not looking as good as years past, you know, what's wrong with them. Can they get it turned around? All those sorts of things. Uh, And really, Uh, You know, you look at Big 12 play, there was a stretch where uh, five of six opponents scored more than a point per possession against KU. That's not something you've seen in past years. Let me read off the last five opponents for KU, uh, what they've scored. West Virginia, 0.94. Baylor, 1.01. TCU, 0.96. Texas, 0.96. Oklahoma, 0.87. And all of a sudden you look up and KU's in the top 25 in defensive efficiency. So, we talked all year about Bill Self kind of being the key to this, and if you were gonna ha- rather have one way or the other, you'd rather have the dominant offense and hope that Bill Self could fix the defense, at least numerically, statistically. CJ, it looks like hey, you're starting to figure out some things on the defensive end.
1: Yeah, and, and you—they're passing the eye test too. You know, I, I think when you watch this defense now and you watch them a month or two ago, it's 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 a different unit. And you know, I felt the key all season is is really three guys. I think it's Josh Jackson. I say he's number one, and when he plays with energy and focus, I think they're completely different. And then I think it's Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, and I, I thought, you know, there were some plays last night where they were really guarding their butts off. And you know, um, one of the plays when Devontae Graham, I think, strips OU's point guard near the near half court. I think that was one of the kind of keys to to get that run started. And you know, I I think their their effort and energy has been better. And maybe they have been kind of saving it for, for late in the year. Who knows? But I think that they're figuring out, okay, yeah, we've got a guard. It's the time of the year. We better turn it on. And we've, we've said all along you felt like the pieces were there because they were a top-of-the-line defense last season. And the biggest difference really is you know swapping out Perry Ellis for, for Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson is a very, very – you know he's a more talented defensive player than, than Perry Ellis who was super valuable – in, in what he did, but you know Josh Jackson's a more talented guy on that end. So you felt like the pieces were there to have a great defense. It was just when they were going to start kind of figuring things out and and pl- you know playing to that capability.
0: Yeah, and all along, I mean, if you look at again just kind of a, a mile high view of of KU's defense when KU goes four guards. What is inevitably going to happen is they're not going to be as good defensive rebounding team. I mean, it's just tougher. Josh Jackson. It's going to be tougher for him to grab rebounds from that four spot than a true four man, uh, or you know, or Jamari Trailer, who you know, whoever was in there last year. So where KU needs to make up for that is forcing more turnovers, and that's really been the big difference for KU. Again, same thing. I could kind of read off the same stats to you where KU's forced turnovers on more than 20% of its opponents' possessions for the last five games. And where does that start? That starts with the defense that we've seen from KU when we saw like against Duke in some of those early games where Devontae Graham, Frank Mason, those guys were just flying all over on the perimeter and really locking down and didn't look like maybe the tired or winded guys that that they were kind of in the middle dog days of the season. So again, you can kind of... It's it's funny with this KU team. It's like I can look at everything from both perspectives. I could say they haven't been dominant statistically and, and they don't look the part of a one seed if you're looking at advanced stats but at the same time if you're in the tournament and you have the extended timeouts and you know that this team has shown the capability to have this potential defensively when they're really locked in and those games they're likely to be really locked in you kind of have to like KU's chances defensively don't you I mean isn't that more of a positive than a negative that KU was showing the potential to be able to lock down defensively it just hasn't shown that potential for long stretches because hey the season's kind of long
1: yeah for sure and, and you know i think the only real weakness is well two things you said the defensive rebounding I, I, you know but i think they they do it well enough and landon lucas is just a beast on the boards and the other thing is facing a a really good post score and you know there aren't a ton of the guys out there like that but it seems like we've talked about it before. everybody's foreman seems to have his game of his life against kansas and um you know part of that's having josh jackson have to guard in the post when that's not really a natural thing you know i think he does a decent time decent at times but you know this is a guard trying to guard postman so that that's that's a concern but yet at the same time you know latin was having a really good game last night but yet ou still scores a really low per possession game and in texas you know they had the big the big fro go off the other day and and you know they still don't put up a great offensive game part of that's the pieces around him aren't all right, great, but I think that while that's kind of a concern going on into the NSA tournament, I think that KU can do enough things well on the defensive end to kind of get past, you know, maybe a, a big guy going off for, for 20 on a, on a given night.
0: And I think one interesting thing, CJ, too, if you look at it from KU's perspective is Bill Self, kind of like we talked about maybe not having the answers early on, but figuring out answers. I thought a really good example was against Baylor where – if you'd asked me at the beginning of the year, will Josh Jackson ever guard a seven-footer in the post? I would have said, no, probably not. And yet, that's what KU did. You know, uh, Motley is a guy that's more of a four-man. But again, they put Landon Lucas on him. And he was able to kind of hold his own against Motley. Meanwhile, Josh Jackson's over there defending Joe Luala Chul and, and able to hold his own in that. So there's kind of very few matchups there. And, and again, the tournament, we, we know it. I mean, I'm going to say the cliche all the time. But you could get a lot of different... Rosters, and maybe there's a roster with two true big men that could give KU problems. But it seems like KU has been able to kind of finagle its way around a lot of different issues. And as a lot of people brought up as well, if if Baylor didn't give KU a bunch of problems inside, then maybe it's not as big a problem as we might make it. And the last thing I will say about this, and it seems maybe we're not giving KU's defense enough credit this year for this because it doesn't seem like this. But uh, last year, KU was 18th in the nation in two-point defensive percentage, field goal percentage. This year, KU's 25th. And so, you know, last year, KU's team was 100th in block rate. This year, it's 69th in block rate. I mean, this team is not as bad on the interior as maybe we think by watching them over and over, and they do have a lot of guys that have good help defense and, and help each other, and Landon Lucas, even without being a true rim protector, is able to kind of step up and and provide some solid help defense. So, I actually probably am more likely to think that this team is going to get beaten by a bunch of threes going down than they are uh, somebody just taking over in the lane. And again, with Bill Self in there, we know his specialty is kind of getting those people and, and teams and pushing them away from the rim for their for their shot attempts. So if it was me, I would say still that KU's maybe biggest defensive weakness is trying to get out to three-point shooters and spot-up shooters. That's been kind of a struggle all year, and, and we'll see if that's something that, that rears its head in March. But I guess you just never know.
1: Yeah, Landon Lucas, you know, you can be a rim protector without blocking shots, and Landon Lucas is that. I mean, he, he is just so smart in positioning himself, and, you know, you look at the story you wrote last night, you have several examples of that. Him just being in the right spots all, t- all at all times, and that is so – and holding his, his ground too. And that is so, so valuable to a defense, kind of have to have a safety guy – like that who isn't going to take a misstep. And I think the combination of that and then having some guys who can fly around and then also having Bill Self, who over time has always been good at scouting report defense and drawing up a scouting report. And on the NCAA tournament, when you kind of got to make it on the fly, you know, you don't have a lot of time to prepare. You know, these coaches sit around and they, they talk about how, how, how are we going to guard these actions? You know, how are we going to do this? And I think Self is about as good as anybody in the country at, at, at prepping for those. And it's why he's had a, a lot of success. And, you know, he's, he's shown the ability this year to be willing to try some different things, Zone being one of them. And, you know, I think in the NCAA tournament he will – empty his bag of tricks and and he'll he's going to be more than willing to try the triangle on two and try some try some different strategies and uh that that's that's encouraging for uh for the ncaa tournament chances for this team because like like i said the pieces are there they just they just gotta execute and play with energy and and in the big games they've, they've surely done that
0: real quick before we get to twitter questions cj i want to ask you bill self said last night he was obviously very emotional it was senior night you expect him to Say some very nice things about people, but he said Frank Mason, the best guard that he's ever coached. Uh, what do you think about that statement? And do you agree that with that statement, the Bill Self made?
1: Yeah, I'm getting there. I, I, I think so. I mean, I think he's he's passed on. Um, you know, Darren Williams was was really really good, and so was D Brown. But um, you know, obviously Frank Mason's not going to be-, you know, be the best. You know, he probably is not going to be the best pro. Guard that Bill Self has ever coached, but I think that college guard, the college the season he's having, I don't know that Self's ever had a guard have the kind of season that dude's having. I mean, he's is he he's still over fifty percent from three, right?
0: He's right at fifty, right on the
1: dot. Right at at fifty on the dot. You know the the consistency he's been able to put up with his his scoring numbers and just the the moments when. KU has been down and he just makes play after play after play and how clutch he's been. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the best season a guards ever had for him. And, and, you know, I think the the highest level of guards ever played for, for him. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't think it was based on emotion. Well, I'm sure the comment was partly based on emotion, but, but I, I think it's, it's, fact now (laughs) the way he's played this this season
0: yeah and you know we we've talked a little bit about the sharon collins thing and kind of what goes into that you know i i've always said sharon collins was better when he stepped on campus than frank mason was and he probably provided more production over a four-year span than frank mason did but nobody is playing at a higher level as a point guard (laughs) than frank mason is right now for kansas so uh, that's kind of where i stand with it and where i would look at it but yeah, I was, I was kind of interested to hear that too, just because, like you said, uh, Darren Williams and D. Gordon, D. D. Gordon, uh, D. Brown. I'm sorry, baseball on the mind already. D. Brown were both very good guards for for Bill Self at Illinois. So you wondered if he would uh, if he would say one of those guys or keep one of those guys in mind. But again, it's hard to argue with Frank Mason right now, especially when he's in the National Player of the Year discussion, which is something that really no other player has been with has been in that discussion for Kansas except for maybe Thomas Robinson back in 2012. Let's go ahead and get to some of these Twitter questions, CJ, and uh, let's start with Dr. Naismith because he wants to talk about your friend and mine, Svezis. What kind of Eastern European voodoo do, do we need to do to get Sve going again? So what do you think is needed or what voodoo or what magic touch is needed to get Svee Makailuk back to his old self?
1: Well, to start with, I think it's probably the most important thing over this next week and a half for Kansas going into the NCAA tournament. Cause I, I do think they need a good SV because he, while the Vic's playing really well right now. And so it's kind of helped negate Svee's struggling a little bit. You, I, I think Svee does some little, you know, nuances of the game better. And, and, and it's just kind of a l- little bit headier player than Vic is. And, it, it comes it's always come down to one thing for Svi. i think it's about confidence and it's about seeing the outside shots go in so when he's shooting the ball well from outside everything usually seems to line up for him so i think he needs to have a game or two in a row where he really really shoots it well so you know light some candles for him do do whatever you you think necessary for for Spies to to start shooting the three ball well again and and uh i think things will work out for him
0: Yeah, 0 for 2 from 3 in the Oklahoma game, 0 for 5 in the Texas game. Uh, He's still shooting 40% from 3 on the year, but again, this is the kind of struggles we haven't seen from Svi throughout the entire season. Something interesting to note, too, you know, Bill Self is sort of a superstitious guy, and he doesn't like to change things up just for the sake of changing them up, so, you know, even though LeGerald has been playing better lately, I think he's kind of held Svee in his starting spot just to not mix up things and kind of go against a winning streak and what's worked for Kansas. But remember last night, Tyler self-started for Svi Kailuk. And so, I don't know. It's kind of weird trying to get into Bilsop's brain when it comes to these sort of superstitious things because I don't know now if he would be comfortable making the switch because now can you want a game without Svi in the starting lineup and maybe he believes now that you can transition back to Gerald Vick in the starting lineup. I don't know. Just one of those crazy crazy quirks. If Svi if would have started last night's game, I have no question he would start the rest of the games for the rest of the season, no matter how poorly he played. But now that he was removed from the starting lineup for a game, Uh, I don't know if it changes things or not. It's just kind of a a weird speed.
1: Let's remember that they didn't score for like four minutes last night (laughs) to start the game, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe that was not having seasons out there. (laughs) I mean, it definitely didn't help that – uh, they couldn't you know they didn't have to guard one guy on the floor and uh okay he was was kind of out of whack to start that game so i don't think because they won and he didn't start last night he, he oh, puts in his head oh i can you know maybe maybe it's time to take takes fia out of the starting lineup you know he, he might do it but I, I don't i don't think he will because what's the most important thing for speed right now it's his confidence and, and you don't want to pull a guy like that that who's maybe a little shaky on confidence you don't want to do that and and mess with his head even, even more so i expect i mean it was easy right now last night to say okay who doesn't start well you know obviously it's probably josh jackson's last game it might be Devontae graham's last game so you throw them out there plus with you know the the three spots the 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 spot that that maybe made the most sense for for tyler self last night if you're going to throw him out there so you know i think that was an easy decision one i'm sure he was fine with but I wouldn't mess with his confidence by by pulling him out of the lineup.
0: I think you misunderstood what I was saying, CJ. This has nothing nothing to do with KU winning with Svee not starting and thinking that Tyler Self was the reason KU won. It has to do with not mixing things up for the sake of mixing them up. But now that things have been mixed up for Bill Self, maybe he can continue to mix. It's weird. I'm sorry, this is... Okay, let let me explain this to you. And I, I know you've been around for this, CJ. So there are press conference days every week on Thursdays, and mm-hmm. on or you know usually Thursday could be a different day. This week it's a Thursday, and when those days happen, Bill Self goes to the podium and talks, and then you know the you know sometimes comes and talks with media members at lunch, that sort of thing. On other days, it's just basically uh, what's called a locker room. So you get a player that goes to the press conference table and talks to media members in front of all the cameras. And then you go outside, outside the kind of the tunnel where the, the team comes in and you talk to Bill Self out there. Now it makes yeah. no, it makes no sense for Bill Self to not do that at the press conference table, except that he doesn't like to break up routine. And for a long, long period of time, years and years and years, Bill Self has done that interview outside the tunnel, uh, you know, outside the locker room right by that tunnel. So, every time we go do that we pack up our cameras we go outside we do the bill self interview there for seven or eight minutes uh and and that's that because that's the way bill self wants it so i'm not saying it's logical or rational i'm just saying that it might be the reason that you can continue to change something now because ku wasn't cursed by not starting SV, so now they could maybe continue to start somebody else I know this this sounds like it makes no sense, but in my own mind, it makes sense, CJ.
1: I'm saying they were cursed because they didn't score. (laughs) (laughs) No,
0: they – okay, but they didn't score because the person replacing Sfi was not LeGerald Vick, Right
1: yeah i i don't know i mean i i just i just think i think the the bigger part of the equation is messing with his confidence and and i don't think having him out there at the starting time is necessarily hurting you enough to justify putting vic out there when vic is successful right now in his role and the most important thing to get feedback is having his confidence go up and you don't want to you don't want to have yourself hurt his confidence any any more than it is already by doing something like taking him out of the starting lineup.
0: hundred percent agree with you there. I don't think it's going to happen. And I think your point is very well taken. i um, just saying, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll go to the next one uh, from Eric at East Latin on Twitter. Is Graham a legitimate option for consideration to leave early
1: thoughts? Yeah, yeah, he, he definitely is. And, um, you know, part of it could, could have to do with how, how he plays here down the stretch and it's the, – the, the best thing in KU's favor is it's a really, really deep point guard class. And so, you know, that's going to knock him down some. And right now, if I had to guess, I'd say he's probably a second-round pick. And whenever a guy's a second-round pick, I think he should think seriously about coming back if he can go and make himself a first-round pick. And you see what Frank Mason's been able to do. Let's, let's remember, like, Frank Mason was good as a junior – But he was pretty disappointed in how his junior season went down. And he was not playing nearly at this level last year. Well, Devontae Graham, I'm guessing, hasn't been well, he might be pleased. He he probably isn't all the way pleased with how this season's gone down. And he can look and see while Mason hasn't necessarily made himself a first round pick, he's made himself a draftable player. And if Devontae Graham could come back and make himself a first round pick, then it's something he should should definitely consider so I, I still you know i've kind of maintained all year i think it's about 50 50 i still think it's it's in that 50 50 range for him
0: yeah uh let me ask you this cj if you had if you were an nba gm and you had a chance to take either Devontae or svi who would you take
1: Devontae or svi Ooh, man well you know, it ha part of it would have to do with with what my needs. Although most GMs will tell you that you know at that point in the draft they're not drafting for needs; they're just drafting for, you know, trying to find the the best player. I think, but uh, probably Devontae.
0: Okay, I just wanted to to get that from you because I was looking at Draft Express. There, they have Devonte with the 40th pick in this year's draft, and they have Svi as the. Uh, 30th pick in next year's draft. So mm-hmm. if that kind of, I mean, I know they're not point guard to point guard, but that gives you a little bit of an indication of maybe uh, what the depth looks like for both of these, uh, both of these guard classes coming up in the next two years. And it was interesting for Bill Self to kind of get that one more year chant going and uh, say, wouldn't it be great for Devontae to have a senior speech sort of thing? Because you know it's only natural for him. I mean, if you're looking at Kansas looking down next year, especially after Trey Young decided Oklahoma, I know they in using on uh, Trayvon Duvall, but uh boy, that would answer a lot of questions for KU if Devontae Graham decided to return.
1: Yeah, it, it would uh it would certainly stabilize what next year looks like. And you know, we've we've, we've talked about for a while now on I think on this podcast that I always felt like thirteen was inevitable, but fourteen's the year where it's really gonna be a challenge and you know, having Devontae Graham back would definitely help.
0: Brad Hope at Brad underscore Hope. Who controls the on-off switch with the Ku team, and why isn't always in the on position? Why is it not always in the on position?
1: Who man? Um, well, like we talked about earlier, I don't think last night was one of those on-off switch nights, but it's definitely been a case with this team. Um, you know, I think maybe Keith Lankford's overseas messing with it (laughs) 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 i i don't i don't don't really know who uh who has that that on off switch probably uh i'll i'll say you know maybe maybe josh jackson or one of the important guys because because they kind of dictate who what what the energy's like so so graham mason jackson they all take turns flipping that switch
0: yeah, well, and again, this team, I think it's only natural because they've expended so much energy and they those guys have to play so many minutes that I think you saw the second half of the Texas game. I mean, that's kind of what what happened when when KU had a comfortable 12 to 14 point lead? You could see it was kind of shifted into a different gear. It was kind of in cruise control a little bit, and then OK, Texas made a little bit of a run, got to nine. OK, KU uh, turned up the energy a little bit, got back to 12 point 12 to 14 point lead. OK, ease off the gas a little bit, but uh, again, I, I think that's the the hope for this team. If you're looking at it, the hope is that that won't happen in the NCAA tournament because one loss and you do go home. And there's no time just to conserve any energy or or hold it back. And these last few games are tricky. I mean, I, I got to be honest with you, CJ. When you win the Big 12 with three games to go, these last few games are tricky. I mean, what's, what's the motivation to win? What's the whole season you've been trying to build up to? Okay, you know, to get ready for the Big 12 season and then win the Big 12 and continue the streak and all that stuff. And then after that, it's all NCAA tournament. So... This kind of in between in between stretches is definitely a difficult thing to navigate. So I'm not going to fault KU too much for for having kind of these weird things happen, especially in that t- game at Texas. I know senior night's a little bit of a different beast, but that game against Texas was was a weird game to try to kind of get up for emotionally, and KU still was able to do it.
1: Yeah, the the Oklahoma State game, I think Bill Self has the perfect last game because of how much he struggled in Stillwater. And you know you can go to Frank Mason and be like, "Hey Frank, you ever won at Gallagher-Iba?" Well, the answer is no. So you know that's something that maybe he wants to check off his list of accomplishments that he doesn't want to have a, a school that that got him all four times when he went there. Um, so you know maybe maybe that's that's a way to to get up for that game because uh, man, Oklahoma State is is playing. I mean, they're the highest team in the Big Twelve. So. Yep. That's that's gonna be a uh, an an interesting matchup, and uh, I think I think KU because of how much they've struggled there in the past, you know. That's and and how well Oklahoma State's playing, being the hottest team in the league, I think that's a game that they'll probably be able to get up for.
0: Three more, C.J. Let's go with this one from Clark Gobel at Clark underscore Gobel over under three and a half minutes on the bench for Frank Mason in the NCAA tournament. Uh, that <laughs> I, I would have to go over, but the thing about it is, let me read off his minutes in the last. Okay, yeah, here we go. Let me read off his minutes in the last four games. Are you ready for this? Actually, let's go to the last five games. West Virginia was an overtime game, 43 minutes. Uh, Baylor game, 39 minutes. TCU, 39 minutes. Texas, 39 minutes. Oklahoma, can you guess it?
1: 39 minutes. 39
0: (laughs) minutes. So if if this pattern followed, it's basically kind of like saying, hey, is KU going to make the Final Four or not? That's kind of what the question is. But... The reason I would go with over and maybe quite a bit over is KU will have the luxury of playing a 16 seed. And even though they don't blow many teams out, whatever that 16 team seed team is, there should at least maybe be a two- or three-minute stretch at the end there where you can get Frank Mason out and put somebody else in there.
1: Yeah, I just clicked on the last time KU played about the equivalent of a 16 seed, and that would be at UNLV on December 22nd. And Frank Mason played 35 35- minutes that night. So I'm go. going there, over. There's the over. I'm going over. He gets it he gets it right away.
0: Yeah, Austin P last year which was a 16 seed uh Kay, Frank Mason played 27 minutes. Obviously had a different role than he did for this year's team, but I think that does tell you something. But the other side of the coin on that which is makes Clark's uh, line pretty good is this. If I go to Villanova, how many minutes did, did Frank Mason play against Villanova?
1: Ooh, probably 40. <laughs>
0: 40, exactly. So if it's a close game There is a real potential. He ain't coming out. There's a real potential that either he only comes out for like 20 or 30 seconds once, or he doesn't come out at all. So uh, that makes this an intriguing one, but I'm going to bank on the 16th seed being bad and KU actually blowing out an opponent. Uh, From the real Jay Becker, Jack on Twitter, could you see Josh jump to the number one in the draft with a big march, especially since Foltz is out of the dance? Uh, CJ, I defer to you on this one since you are my NBA (laughs) draft expert.
1: It seems like everybody in the NBA has kind of been set on Fultz before he even stepped foot on campus. And I don't think he's done anything necessarily to bump himself down. So I'm, I'm pretty confident it's, it's going to be Fultz, but the way Josh has been shooting the ball lately definitely helps his chances for going, you know, pretty high in the draft. And, um, you know, he's, 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 he's helped his stock as of late but um you know i i don't think it'll be anybody but Fultz. maybe ball maybe maybe the you know i could see a, a GM following kind of head over heels for for ball and the way he plays but I'm, I'm pretty confident it'll be Fultz.
0: yeah draft express right now is Fultz, ball and then jackson and again jackson has kind of on these mock drafts you know for what they're worth you know he's been at five six seven before i've seen earlier this season so lately he has seemed to be moving up uh up the list a little bit but you never know what happens with the big NCAA tournament, but I, I think when so much money and so much of an organization and so many jobs are at stake on these decisions, that that tends to take the emotion of a big NCAA tournament out of it a little bit. So uh, I would agree with you. I think that Fultz is still the frontrunner for this, even though he's not playing in the NCAA tournament, because, again, if you don't get these choices right, you get fired if you're a GM. So you're not going to care quite as much if somebody has a big NCAA tournament. All right, the final one. Let's go with uh, at AJ van on twitter aj vanderhorst what does mason need to do to sew up player of the year and has he done it already cj
1: yeah i think he's done it already i think as long as he doesn't put up a couple offers here late that uh that he's he's won the award with with what he's done over the season and and especially over these last couple weeks you know i read you those those clutch stats last week in those back-to-back games against baylor and west virginia um, you know, last night was another example of him really stepping up when KU was down. I I think that it it would be hard for me seeing anybody else win it but Frank Mason.
0: You know, he just adds to his moments too. And I go, I know that's a soft factor. I know maybe he shouldn't count and everything, but he gets out there and he cries as he comes off the court and gets the big hug from Bill Self and. You know, his son has become an Internet celebrity today because he put his head down as as Frank was making his speech. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, all these other things kind of continue to happen to kind of keep pushing the narrative forward that this Frank Mason, you know, from Towson recruit to or Towson signee to, to KU star to National Player of the Year has kind of continued happening. So I'm with you. I, I think... I think he's going to win it. And it's a pretty amazing feat for a guy like that. And again, I remember our podcast that before the season, we were doing like the scoring rankings and, and doing the draft there. And we had a real debate over who you would take Frank Mason or Devontae Graham. And so even to go from that to, to what is he's accomplished this year and, and to being again, Bill Self's first national player of the year at Kansas. It's a pretty remarkable thing, a pretty amazing thing. And I think a lot of people are going to take a lot of pride in that.
1: Yeah, and l- like your point, it's, it's it's people voting for this. It's yes. it's humans, you know. And um, I think his story and and the he's had his Heisman moments, you know. Yes, more exactly. so than than anybody else in the country. From the beginning, the shot against Duke to what he's done lately, he's had those moments more more so than anybody else. Probably doesn't help Josh Hart that he plays his games on fox sports one unless people watch their games so um while i think mason's more deserving than josh hart um you know that that's 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 another factor to 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 bring into this and um you know biggie Swanigan is the other guy in the in the mix and purdue hasn't been at the top like kansas has been all year so I think everything is working in Frank Mason's favor, and it would be really, really, really surprising to me to, to see him not not win a Player of the Year award from any of them. I, I think he's got a good shot at sweeping them, unless one of those guys just has a insane finish here.
0: Yeah, and it's crazy because, you know, if we want to talk about my cold-hearted stats here, if you look at uh, Ken Pomeroy's thing, I, Frank Mason is eighth in his Player of the Year rankings just based off of stats, and then also he's third in the Big 12 uh, conference player of the year race behind both Motley and Jawan Evans. So and not only that, you know, Frank Mason and Josh Jackson have kind of been trading back and forth that eight and nine spot. So let me read off this to you really quick, CJ. Motley, Evans, Mason, Jackson, Morris. That's how that's who Ken Palm has as the first team all big twelve. Uh agree with that? Any disagreement there?
1: Yeah, I think that's a lock. Who else who else could be up there? Maybe I mean you could make an argument maybe for Javon Carter, but no, I, I think that's that's about as easy as it gets. I think those five are are locks.
0: Yep. All right, CJ. Anything you're working on with the uh, tournament coming up? Anything uh, you're working on with Bleacher Report that we should be looking out for?
1: Yeah, I got a story coming out on uh, North Carolina's Justin Jackson later this week. Um, you know, he's a guy that's in that All American conversation. And then I'm also working on a piece that should interest Kansas fans. I'm not. I think it'll run sometime next week on Josh Hart, Frank Mason, and Caleb Swanigan, and how none of those guys are like big time NBA prospects, but they are your three leaders for player of the year. And just kind of looking at what kind of pros people think that NBA scouts think they're going to be, um, you know, what have they done this year to, to kind of help themselves. And, uh, so that'll be coming out sometime next week. I believe
0: I'm going to tell you why KU fans need to read the Justin Jackson story. Are you ready for an early edition here? North North Carolina is going to be the two seed in KU's bracket in Kansas city.
1: You think so? Huh? Don't you think so? Uh if they if they beat Duke and they win the ACC outright, um, I still feel like North Carolina will will be on the one line.
0: Okay, well we will see. That's something I actually. We'll, we'll
1: we'll see. I mean, it depends on how the ACC tournament goes and and what help ends in the Pac twelve as well. I think, I think the teams that are up for that last, you know, you think Gonzaga is probably still going to get one. Yep. No, Novo will get one. KU will get one. So I think it's between carolina oregon and ucla would probably be my guess at, at the teams that are battling for that that last one line and i'm i'm not a guy that like studies bracketology endless every day and makes it my my life because the bracket will be what the bracket is but um I, that those are kind of the teams that i feel like are, are in play there for that last one seed
0: And I'm fascinated to see if they do implement more of the Ken Palm advanced stats into this because, you know, the one thing you keep seeing in there is KU is the one seed, Wichita State is the eight or the nine. And uh, right now in Ken Palm, Kansas nine, Wichita State ten. That site in Tulsa would be closer to Wichita than Kansas. That would be a very competitive game in the round of 32. Uh, Again, I'm hoping for fairness sake, that Wichita State gets where it see where it deserves to be six seed, five seed. That's probably still even too low based on what it deserves. But I know you're not as big a fan of Wichita State, but I just hope that the committee takes into account more than just they haven't had the opportunity to beat really good opponents because of their schedule. Because I think this Wichita State team has not a chance to advance, and it would be a shame, again, if a really good team was knocked off in the round of 32, playing very close to its home site. We saw that two years ago, too
1: yeah it'll be fast that, that's that's one of the teams that's going to be the most fascinating to see what they do and uh you're right it, w- it would be While i i don't love this which State team as much as i have in the past they they are just killing everybody and, and they're deserving of probably a higher spot than an eight or nine and i think that'd be a wouldn't be cool to get you who's probably going to be your top overall seed, to put a team that in one metric you know right now rates out as the the 10th best team in the country so um yeah, you, you hope that, that that doesn't happen just because you'd like to see both those teams. You know, Being a Kansas guy, a guy that lives in the state of Kansas, I'd love to see both those teams go on, on deep runs. And you know, I always want the local teams to be relevant. So I, I hope they don't have to match up in that, that second round.
0: And I think they both could make deep runs. And it's funny because you talked about the other potential one seeds in there. UCLA is 13 in Ken Palm. Oregon is 17 in Ken Palm. Wichita State is 10. So you're looking legitimately, if Wichita State was an 8 or a 9 in those brackets... Let's say Oregon's the one, they would most likely be a Vegas favorite in that game. I mean, how crazy would that be, the 8 or 9 seed being the Vegas favorite? I know it might have been the case back in which South State played Kentucky in the second round, but uh, that sort of thing shouldn't happen, and I hope that people look up enough of the advanced metrics in the committee room to at least be a little bit more fair about the, the bracketings and, and le- allowing some good teams to at least make it to the Sweet 16 and let, let things be decided
1: from there. I'll, I'll 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 bet you this right now if if Wichita State is an eight or nine seed and they get to that game against whoever the one seed is, I'll bet you we can't do monetary things. What can we do? Well, let's 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 do another meal. I think you're gonna owe me a few after this year. <laughs> I bet you whoever plays Wichita State is favorite, on in Vegas.
0: Well. Okay. That, the problem with that is I did. I, <laughs> listen, I didn't take into account location. I mean, where? So where is Oregon going to be playing? Are they going to be playing somewhere not close to home?
1: We don't. We don't know yet.
0: We don't know. Mm. Uh, how about because of location and because I don't know where these teams are? We see How about you give me one point, and you give me the the one seed by one point or Wichita State favorite. I'll do that. Okay, Does that make sense? All right, we'll do it. Deal. Sounds All right. good. All right, well, uh, thanks for checking out the Sports BKC podcast. For CJ, this is Jesse. Be sure to tune in for another episode next week.